0: Welcome back to the podcast on Binding the Bible. This is episode 169, Light, Darkness, and Treasures. And on the podcast today, we are going to talk about Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And what I'm going to do actually is read for you something that I had written down more or less in my journal. It's kind of a file that I keep on my computer filled with thoughts of things that are happening in my life or connections that I see being made based on what's going on in my life or what I'm reading in the Bible or what I'm reading in another book or conversations that I'm having. And I've done this a couple of times on the podcast and sometimes I kind of laugh at myself. My, my This document is filled with all sorts of thoughts and many of them I would never share with uh, anyone, at least not a public audience. Um, some of them are just me ranting because um, I'm having a bad day. Sometimes I'm trying to make a connection with something that hasn't never really made sense to me. And I remembered even as I approached Matthew 6, I remembered several years ago having this thought that really clicked for me, particularly where Jesus will say, If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so, what I'm going to do on the podcast is I'm going to read the passage, and then without really giving much of an explanation about what it means, I'm just going to let you in on my little mental ramblings. I I tended, for whatever reason, to kind of touch on the majority of this passage. Actually, I think I touch on the entire thing. It wasn't intentional, um, but it fits really well with the fact that these are the next several verses we're going to get to in the podcast. And so this will be a little different. I'm going to read what I have written. Uh, some of it was applied to the time of 2019. If you can go back that far in your mind, we, we were doing the the book of Revelation on the podcast. Um, political matters seem to be pretty high just as they always are. Of course, this is pre-COVID. Um, But just uh, to to be mindful, at least as as my mind was going, I I was always thinking of partisan politics. I was thinking of people who are closed off to hearing a new perspective. Uh, We kind of still have the same thing going on today. And so my thoughts that I had written then, almost four years ago, I think tie in really well to this concept. And so I'm going to give you a little window into how my mind works. And uh, it's a little bit... um, up and down at times, but I I do think there's a coherent sense to the overall thrust of what I have written, but yeah, I will sometimes sit at my computer and punch out several pages of just my own thoughts, and sometimes it just so happens that they make sense, sometimes they don't make sense, and I don't go back and reread those sections because I've long forgotten them, They, they didn't seem to have much of an impact in my life, but this one did, and I still think there's, there's some things to be explored here, and I wanted to share it with you. So without any more of an introduction, let's just get right into it. To begin this week's episode, allow me just to read Matthew 6, 19 to 24. But before I do... How about that introduction music? I have never found that background music before until this week. And what a weird little rhythm and a beat that was. So I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I hope that wasn't too painful. And um, anyway, just thought I would comment about it because, you know, it's fun. So, hey, here we go. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth How great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, as I said in the introduction, I want to read for you a section from my journal that I wrote down on August the 8th of 2019, I was listening, I think, to a Tim Mackey sermon or maybe a podcast, I can't remember which. And as he was beginning, and as he often does, talking about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, he was speaking about light and dark. And it got me thinking, and that's generally how this happens for my journal. I'm reading something, listening to something, talking to someone, and something clicks with me. And the best way for me to work out that connection is to write it down, type it out, whatever, that they're similar for me. And so I just remember jotting down a darkness versus light. And all of a sudden, several passages of scripture came to my mind, which again is, is oftentimes what happens with me. And the first one was that there are some passages in the Bible that say we were in darkness. So for instance, um, in Matthew 4 Um, there Matthew is quoting from the old Testament when he says, you know, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And it's this, this promise of this time when the Messiah is coming, but he's referring to the people who walk in darkness. So they were in dark and, and John eight, you know, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness right? But we'll have the light of life. That, that, that's the way Jesus describes it. And so we as people were or sometimes are in darkness, right? But there are other passages in the New Testament that say we were darkness. N- not that we were in darkness, but that we were darkness. And Ephesians five is one of those. And actually, let me just look this up. I, I didn't write it down and I should have, But but let me go ahead and look it up for you right now. And I'll just go ahead and read it Paul is is saying, he's talking about don't, you know, don't be deceived by empty words. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Don't be partners with them. And in verse eight of Ephesians five, he says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So, Paul here is talking about us, you know, separating ourselves from those who are in darkness, but he's not just saying you were in, we were in darkness. I mean, you know, we're in the dark. We can't find our way around like, like Matthew four is talking about, or Jesus talks about in John eight, but rather that we ourselves were darkness. Now that's interesting. He doesn't say we were in darkness. He says we were darkness. And one of the, I think for the new Testament, One of the biggest pushes for this isn't just that we were in darkness and can't find our way around, or that we were darkness, you know, darkness made up our thoughts, but that we loved the darkness. So in John 3, you know, the, the most famous passage, of course, is John 3, 16, right? But Jesus, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But then it goes on, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, right? Yeah, sure, people are in darkness, and sure, people are darkness, but Jesus didn't come to condemn them for that. He came to save them. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, John says, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness, rather than the light because their works were evil. And so it was weird, but these three passages kind of thrust right into my mind all at once. We were in darkness. We were darkness and we loved the darkness. Like this is kind of how the new Testament speaks when it talks about this light and darkness idea. And so now what I want to do is just read for you several paragraphs. Um, I don't know how long this will take, and I don't think I'll add a commentary to them. I think I'm just going to read it straight through. This, again, isn't polished. This is just my stream of consciousness, which might be a scary reality for some, but I don't think so. I think you'll be able to track with me. So anyway, I'm going to dive into this, and then if I have any thoughts at the very end, I may give you a little bit of a conclusion. So here we go. So we were in darkness, we were darkness, and we loved darkness. Jesus, we know, is the light, the bright light of the sun. And as Jesus continually shines his light onto our world and into our hearts, he intends that his light will pull us out of darkness, Colossians 1.13, make us light, Ephesians 5.8, and begin to change the very things we love and transform our lives into those that delight in the light. Now, with all that said, How deeply we believe we were in darkness, were darkness, and loved the darkness will set us up to embrace how much or little Jesus wants to work. If we have a little bit of darkness in us, Jesus will want to work a little bit. If we have a lot of darkness, he'll want to work a lot. And if we love not just things in the darkness, but the darkness itself, then he will need to shine his light into the very center of the kinds of things we love, show us a better way, and free us from those loves. So the ultimate question on the table is this. How much of the things we love is Jesus really interested in changing? Well, based upon the way the New Testament tends to speak about sanctification or the growth of a Christian through dependence on the Holy Spirit— The longer we walk with him, the more things in our lives that we love will surface and need to be addressed in our relationship with him. And what I want to be the first in line to ask is, is it possible that some of the things I love have residual effects of darkness still attached to them? And am I holding on to anything that I love that I would be unwilling to allow Jesus to expose as darkness? In other words, are there areas of my life or my beliefs that are off limits to Jesus exposing his darkness? When we say that Jesus is the light, what do we tend to assume that means? Do we assume that Jesus simply shares our view of what we would naturally describe as darkness? Or are there things that we see as light that from Jesus' perspective, he would see as darkness? There's so much talk in the New Testament about opening our eyes or the eyes of our hearts and things like that. What does that mean? Does that mean that once we get saved, that our eyes are now open, that the eyes of our hearts now see the world the way God does? or is it more of a process that we can come to see things about Jesus that we believe are worth following him for, but may still be holding on to areas in our in areas of darkness in our hearts that we're not yet able to see? as darkness? I'm reminded of that passage in Matthew six, where Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here's what I think he means. Your eye is the window through which you view the world. We all tend to look at things in this world that we find beautiful. We fix our eyes on those kinds of things. Our eyes are windows and that our hearts see the things they love by looking through our eyes out at those things on the outside that have grabbed our attention. This is how we work as human beings. So Jesus says that the eye is the lamp of the body. Our eyes allow what, what is on the outside of us, those things that grab our hearts, that draw our gaze, to shine their light inside of us. So Jesus says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What does this mean? Well, the Greek word translated healthy simply means single. So Jesus's statement could then read, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. Okay, well then what in the world does that mean? What does single mean here? Well, let's look at the rest of the context. In the paragraph immediately before this, Jesus is talking about treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus tells us we should store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because there, nothing can corrupt them. Nothing can taint them. In that sense, if our entire life was fully invested in storing up treasures in heaven, then we would be living with a single eye. All of our attention, all of our hopes, all of our loves, all of our expectations, all of our value, all of our treasures would be focused exclusively on heaven. Our eye, our heart, those things that we love, would be singularly focused. They would be focused on God and in heaven. Our eye would be single. And Jesus says that when that's the case, our whole body will be full of light. Why? Well, because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. If our eye is singularly focused on pure light, then pure light will fill our whole bodies. And if pure light fills our whole bodies, then we will, as Paul tells the Ephesians, walk as children of light. Ephesians 5.8. What a glorious reality that would be. How incredible would it be to be completely full of light? Nothing secret, nothing hidden, no agendas, no shame, no worry, no fear, all light all the time. Now, how many of us actually experience this? How many people do you know experience the kind of life that is completely free from secrets, agendas, shame, or fear? I don't know very many. And the reason I don't is because our hearts tend to attach themselves to treasures on earth. Our eyes are actually drawn to many things in this world that harm us because we're too attached to them. And when they are taken away or destroyed, or they let us down, or they do not materialize the way we hoped they would, it leaves us feeling hurt, betrayed, angry, lonely, or insecure. We were not made to flourish by setting our hopes in treasures on earth. And so Jesus tells us not to do it. And many of us want to listen to Jesus. It's just at first, we're not quite sure how many of the things we are drawn to could rightly be labeled treasures on earth and which things could be labeled treasures in heaven. Many of our desires are a mixed bag of the two. Some of our desires are rooted in heavenly things, while others are still rooted in earthly things. Always being able to tell the difference is hard for most people. In fact, without Jesus' help, it would be impossible. Thankfully, though, we have Jesus' help. He says he's come to set the captives free. But of course, for Jesus to be able to offer his help to the captives, those who want his help need to admit that they are, in some sense, a captive. If that's you, and you want Jesus to help you sort through which desires of yours are rooted in heaven and which ones are rooted in the earth, then I've got good news for you. He will show you. And the way he wants to do that is for us to let go of all our desires. Sorry, were you hoping I was going to offer a simpler solution? (laughs) One that wasn't quite so invasive? Well, while I can't do that, what Jesus actually offers is so much better. He simply wants us to stop deciding for ourselves which of our desires is rooted in heaven and which ones are rooted in the earth. And the reason he wants to do that is for the simple fact that we're not able to tell the difference by ourselves. The fact that we sometimes store up treasures for ourselves on earth and in other areas we store up treasures in heaven means that our eye is not yet single. We have our eyes looking in two directions, sometimes toward the earth and sometimes toward the heavens. And we don't know how to stop looking at one thing in order to start looking at another if we do not know which desires to stop looking at. But before we can get an answer to that question, we first have to admit that sometimes even our deepest held desires are at odds with some of our other desires. It's strange how this works, but it's true of every single one of us. We are simultaneously trying to store up for ourselves treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And because we are, our eye, the lamp to our body, is not yet single. And if we do not receive Jesus' help, if we do not relinquish our hold on all of our desires, and allow Jesus to tell us which ones are rooted in heaven and which ones are not, then it is possible that we will actually label our earthly treasures as heavenly ones and feel perfectly justified in continuing to value them. Remember, Jesus' hope for us isn't to stifle our desires. It's to allow our desires to flourish. And he knows that nothing kills desire more than when someone ruins the object of our desire or when someone steals it, or when someone stomps on it, or when someone crushes it. So Jesus reminds us that when we store up treasures in heaven, none of that can ever happen. Our desires remain secure, safe, untouched by anyone or anything. No stealing, ruining, stomping, or crushing will ever happen to those desires because they are secure. They are rooted in a place that no one can touch and why am I telling you all of this? Here's why. If the eye is the lamp of the body and a single eye can make our whole body full of light, but our eyes aren't single, then some of what we are attached to, the treasures on earth that grip our hearts, is actually darkness, not light. If we're at all confused by whether our desires will produce darkness or light in us, then we need Jesus to tell us. We need Jesus to shine his light into our hearts to expose whatever darkness might still be in there because a very real danger exists at just this point. We may believe that we are receiving light into our bodies from the desires we find ourselves attached to when in fact, we may be receiving darkness. And Jesus tells us, "'If then the light in you is darkness, "'how great is the darkness.'" You see, it is entirely possible to believe that what your heart is set on is light and therefore label it as light. But if what your heart is set on, which you label light, is in fact darkness, how incredibly great is that darkness? Darkness that you think is light is the worst kind of darkness there is. Darkness that pretends to be light destroys everything. Treasures on earth that pretend to be treasures in heaven corrupt everything. Those caught in the grip of darkness but think they walk in the light are some of the most resistant people on the planet to having actual light shined on them. I didn't say this in my journal, but let me repeat that. Those caught in the grip of darkness but think they walk in the light are some of the most resistant people on the planet to having actual light shined on them. They are resistant because they cannot even see their own darkness and they can't see it because they've already labeled it light. Now, does this mean that all of our desires are earthly? No, of course not. But are some of our desires earthly? Sure they are. Whose desires aren't who among us wants to proudly declare that none of their desires are earthly? Who among us wants to stand up tall and declare to the world, "I have a single eye," and it is singularly and only focused in the heavens? Come now, are there ever blind spots in the views we have and the ways in which we choose to carry out those views in the real world? Is it really as simple as "I'm a republican or? I'm a constitutionalist or I'm a Democrat or I'm an Anglican or I'm a Lutheran or I'm an American or whatever. Is that the end of the discussion? Does Jesus simply stand back and assess us wholesale as, ah, now there's someone whose system has it all figured out. There's someone whose political position only has good coming from it. Is that how Jesus assesses things in the world? Is that what we hope he's doing when he looks at us? Are we hoping Jesus will side with us? Or are we hoping to side with Jesus? Because the two are not the same thing. And I'm afraid that there are many people who not only have confused the two, but genuinely believe that Jesus is siding with them in areas that Jesus would actually label darkness. How will we know? Let go of all your desires. And let him put them back together in the light, in his light, in the light of truth. Let go of your hopes that your desires are already right or already in the light. Let Jesus do that. Let him be king. Let him be God. If you do, he will transform your desires into a single eye. And why do we need this single eye? because no one can serve two masters for either. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money and deciding whether to serve God treasures in heaven or serve ourselves treasures on earth is the most basic decision we will ever face. And we will face it with every single desire we ever discover in ourselves. The eye, Jesus says, is the lamp of the body. Where are your eyes drawn? That's all we have for the podcast this week. That is the end of my journal entry. I am thankful for each of you. As I was reading this just now, I could sense the spirit working through me. And I really hope that this podcast episode lands with some of you in an encouraging way. I do think that this gives us a bit of insight into how it is that we can see such resistance to the truth from people that we imagine ought to be really receptive to the truth. And I think it's because they have in fact labeled certain things as only light, not mixed with any darkness, and therefore are unable to receive critique because they've already decided that those things are above critique. How closely we form our own identity around our particular viewpoints says a lot about who we are as people. And I don't want any of you to form the identity that you come to understand and and embrace about yourself from anything other than the fact that Jesus loves you as one of his creations. He loves you dearly. His desires to um, relate with you on a deep level, for you to open up to him fully, and his love for you will transcend any difficulty or challenge that you will ever face. So be, be grateful today and rejoice in the presence of Jesus. I hope you have a small community where you can share these things and be encouraged by one another in, in practical and intangible ways. Hopefully this podcast community has formed a little bit of that for you or at least given you topics to consider and ideas to discuss with those that you care about. So I'm thankful for each of you who listen, thankful for those who continue to support the podcast in whatever way, whether that's through monthly support or whether that's through leaving me a rating or a a review or some of you who have done all of the above. And I'm thankful for that or for those of you who just tune in. And I'll never know your name or never know you've listened, but I hope you're encouraged by the podcast. So that's all we have for this week. I hope you have a fantastic next seven days and I'll talk to you next time.